Welcome to The Founder's Mind, a podcast powered by the Kadar Group. This is your host, Adam Mutchler. This season is sponsored by Upside Business Travel. While they are a free travel management tool for scaling companies, they are also putting people's health and safety above their revenue by encouraging people to not travel, stay home during this crisis, and provide insights for business to manage during this time. Hashtag stay home. Find out more about Upside Business Travel at www.upside.com backslash TFM. And now a bit about our guest and this episode. On this episode, we have Charles Ashley, the founder of Cultivating Coders and many other businesses. We chop it up on topics of entrepreneurship, resilience, COVID-19 response, and what it takes to manifest your ideas into reality. Charles has some highly durable business and life practices that come from years of perspective. You'll want to listen to it all. Enjoy. Welcome to The Founder's Mind. On this episode, we have Charles. Welcome to the show, Charles. What's going on, man? Oh, you know, just uh, recollecting that this is our fourth attempt at this conversation. (laughs) Well, I mean, it kind of goes in line with how I've conducted business where like I'm persistent I can keep going and keep going and keep going. So I lose track of how many times I've been told no or tried something. So, you know. Yeah, I would say same bucket. I mean, this started with a little bit of a switcheroo, which we talked about Yep. in Albuquerque, coming down, bringing my equipment, going to interview Charles on my show. And then all of a sudden I'm behind someone else's mic with other questions coming at me. It's crazy because if you really think about it, that was the last real time that we were able to socially interact. Yeah, that's nuts. As a, as a country. Because I think about a week or a couple of days after that, everything was shut down. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was actually because it, it was the end of my trip. It was the last week of my trip. I think it was like the 24th of February. I think Albuquerque Public Schools went on spring break or they were on spring break and they didn't go back. We, 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 so our spring break was for Albuquerque was at the end of March. Oh, I meant winter break. Yeah. Winter break. Right, right, right. So they went back. Now I think they went back for a day or two and then it was, everything was shut down. Wild. Um, if you were, if you think about it though, Adam, usually that coffee shop that we met at the brew, shout out to Juan, you know, the owner of the brew, that place is usually packed. So you could almost see it coming because it wasn't really packed. Remember, was, there were people there. Oh, yeah. No, it, was, it wasn't packed. It was an overflow. Well, I feel like I've come to know you very well over the attempted conversations and successful conversations and IG Live, you know. So, but for listeners, you know, and as we put this out there, a little bit about what you're cooking up, what you got your hands in, because I know you got a lot of businesses rolling. Uh, what are you doing? Well, the first thing we were doing is we had a camp. We had multiple camps going on uh, that were in person. And when I, so I run a computer science training program. Uh, people call it coding camps, but we're a little bit different where it's project based. Uh, you're, you're building real projects. You are, you are learning project management. You're doing, you know, agile uh, training. You're, you're, you're doing presentations. Uh, so it's really beyond just the code, right? There's a lot more uh, moving pieces with our program. But uh, the difference of our program and everyone else's program, we actually go, we parachute into these communities and we'll live out there for eight to 12 weeks, depending on the type of camp that we're providing. 
um, we've, we've created a program where no one has ever paid us out of their own pocket to take our program, right? So we have uh, tremendous partners on the, the 501c3 side where they, they, they gift us with the funds where people can take our program for free. On the private side, uh, we work closely with different uh, municipalities where we can, we're able to utilize Department of Labor funds. So with that being said, uh, everything is provided to anyone who's taken our camp. So all 500 plus people who have gone through the camp has never paid. They've all had a laptop. Uh, we pay for like a, the, uh, the entire Adobe suite, their domain, anything that you need to be a, a developer, we provide. So we can, So all you have to do is show up and be committed and motivated. So with that being said, uh, we had three programs going on. They were in person, and we were watching the news. Right? Yeah. I, I, I like to watch the news. I, I think th- I think most entrepreneurs are like this. You watch things, but you're forecasting. Right? <laughs> you're watching. You're trying to see what's next. And I remember during Christmas break. And I think you and I even talked about this at the coffee shop. I was looking at China. I said, "Oh man, I think that's going to get over here." Like if you could, you can almost if you looked at it without trying to be any political view at all. If you just looked at it as a human being, sure. It said, okay, China, tons of people there. The United States, every other country in the world does business with China. So that's frequent travel, tra- travel, travel, right? The co- uh, Just common sense alone would tell you that, oh, there's a good chance that there are people who traveled over there, <laughs> came back home, and it's going to spread. Um, so we, me and the team, our team is 16 of us total, uh, we started brainstorming. We knew we were going to have to go virtual. Like we, we have, you know, we had the Google Hangouts and hang, that type of stuff, but a true, a true robust online training platform. So we started creating that, no lie, right after Christmas. I'm talking New Year's hit. We, we started practicing demos. We started doing uh, workshops amongst ourselves to see like, how do we screen share? How do we allow someone to chime in? How do we control the chat, you know, all the stuff that people don't really think about in this virtual environment, virtual classroom, we were already putting, putting the pieces together. Uh, so right, right before the governor, uh, Lujan Grisham, shut down New Mexico, we had already put our in-person camps virtual because we didn't want to even risk it. Like you could just yeah. see it spreading. Uh, so, so we went from an online, we went from an in-person program to online. And it's going great. Matter of fact, uh, the demo days for all the camps are next Friday. So we're going to do a virtual demo day where they get to show off the projects they've been working on. Uh, But with that being said, we wanted to do something to give back to the community. Like people are sitting at home with their kids. You're sitting home with your kids. I'm sitting at home. There's millions of people sitting at home with their kids. And I said, you know what? What if we created almost like this group, this this uh, team of people who just go online every day, one hour a day, and do workshops on how to build your own basic website. So essentially, uh, an hour a day, Monday through Friday, uh, you come, you code with us for an hour a day, and we named that the Code Crush Crew. So I saw that. Pay, yeah, so we pay homage to like the old school, like the Code Crush Crew. But <laughs> you go, you code, and at the end of the four weeks, um, you should have a fully functional website. And right, we're in, we just concluded week two and there's kids in there from ages 10 no no eight my bad it's from nine to 99 that's what we that's like our yeah sure, sure, sure. yeah but you know there's a couple of kids who snuck in eight-year-olds that's cranking out websites we got a, uh, a young lady 89 in florida working with us and it's free 
Like we, we said, throw it out there. No one's funding it. It was like, what can we do during this time? And that, that's our, our way of showing, I mean, it's our mission anyway, but I wanted to say, look, we want to provide something for anyone. So, so come have fun and see what we're all about. How did you get into cultivating coders and this business in general? Right. I mean, it's not your first, it's not your first job, not your first endeavor. No. Um, I like to joke with people. I say I've quit jobs that people would never quit. They retire. Like, <laughs> up to, and, and I know it. Like I, from the very beginning, I've always had this thing where I've been searching for something that fulfilled me. Right. From the very beginning. Uh, I remember uh, my first apprenticeship was in Miami with the Dolphins. People's like, oh, are you going to take the job? And no, I'm not, that was right out of college, not taking it. Went out, worked in a university out in, in Nevada. Great, great. I'm talking, I was 20, 23, 20, 22, 23. And I was, I think I was like third in charge. So if you, numbers game, if I waited it out like five or 10 years, I probably would be running my own department. Sure. Still didn't, still didn't, you know, didn't even like think about that. Uh, decided to move because I said, I'm still searching for something. My wife was like, what are you searching for? <laughs> She's like, you found me. Yeah, she, right. You, you won the prize, babe. You got it. I was like, I know, but there's something more. And uh, we were deciding to move between Denver, Dallas, or Albuquerque. My choice was Albuquerque. Denver and Dallas. So I put an application out there. I think I had like 10 offers from Denver. I had five or 10 in Dallas. I had zero job offers in Albuquerque. I was like, let's move to Albuquerque. Just like the opposite of what a sane person would do. <laughs> right? A sane person would not do that. And came here, got a job in government. And I didn't want to do government stuff, but I knew that I wanted to help communities because I, we were doing projects that was bringing in big dollars. We were creating programs that were helping out the youth and the elderly. So I could see my fulfillment was like, oh, I'm helping people. And I knew I always wanted to help people. I just didn't know in what capacity. Left there, start consulting, got a couple consulting gigs with higher ed institutions, a television company, a winery, uh, a, a hardware tech company. So like, across the board, you, you know, I had to learn different industries. And I started to see this trend in technology, primarily like the coding computer science space. I would be at these conventions and I would look, oh, it'd be me. Sure. One brother, I see another brother, like 20, 20 people across the way. And then you see a, a thousand white dudes. Well, yeah, we're, we're everywhere. Yeah, right, <laughs> everywhere. No women, couple women maybe. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's this skill set that allows people to bypass every like American barrier that we've put in place, right? Think about technology. We don't care what you look like. We don't care what you sound like. We don't care where you live. We don't care if you put pants on during your Zoom meeting. If you can build the software, that's all. if you can build me something, if you can be innovative, we buy, we overlook all of that. So I'm thinking that's a powerful skill to have. And why aren't the communities who struggle with the barriers that usually are put in front of us, like the racial equities, the, the, the racial inequities, you know, the gender inequities. Oh, you can bypass a lot of that with, with this skill set. And I started digging deeper and digging, asking questions. And then it, it just boiled down to our communities, going back to digital divide, black, brown communities, native communities, poor communities. 
we aren't exposed to those skill sets in high school, in middle school, or elementary. So by the time you even get to the graduation point, you're not even thinking about STEM, right? You're not even thinking about going in, say, I want to be an engineer. I want to be a software engineer. I want to, I want to oh, you know, I'm great with building video games. It, we, we were just consuming technology. We never thought about being the, the, on the other side of it and building something that someone would consume. Um, so I just did my research. I spoke to a couple people. Uh, I gave up a couple big contracts because I said, I think I, I'm going to do it on my own. And honestly, I did it on my own because when I proposed it to one of my clients, they said, why would you? That doesn't make sense. Too much overhead. <laughs> That was what he said, too much overhead. So then my mentor, so I, so I'm asking my mentor, like, hey, I want to do this thing. I want to do this thing. I, I, you know, I'm, I broke down to him, like, there should be more black and brown people in tech. There should be more women in technology. There should be more people from a certain low, uh, socioeconomic background that should be in this. And it's not. And I want to do it. And he said, you know what? Uh, sometimes you just, no, what do you say? You're a lot dumber Sometimes and what uh, I tell you, he's like, why, we, why do you continue to keep giving away good ideas to people? <laughs> I was like, huh? He's like, you've had five or 10 clients that you've helped make millions of dollars. And yet he's like, you literally gave them a good idea and the Lord blessed you by having them tell you no. He's like, go out there and do it yourself. And he said, you know why? Because you have enough, and I'll never forget. He said, you have enough community equity to do it. Mm. And I never heard that. I was like, what? the hell does that mean? He said, community equity is you've done enough in your community and worked with enough people, had success. Uh, if you said something, your word was your bond, you have enough community equity where it might take the average person, you know, 200, 300,000 to do it. You have enough people who want to see you win or be successful that you can probably pull this thing off at very minimal um, expense. And he said, because people want to help. And he said, that, that's your, your goal in life should always be to, uh, when people talk about you, they know you're an honest person. They know that you're going to get it done. He's like, that's how you build community equity. You don't build it by robbing people. And him saying it, I was like, okay. And, and he's right. It, and I'm transparent. It took me $25,000 to get this off the ground. That's incredible. You know? That's incredible. And, and we've been in the black all five years, all five, all in, and uh, we have a good team. We have good people who believe in us. And, and that's, that's, that's how it started. It, it literally, I didn't even think about the money aspect. I just thought about, I want to help people <laughs> get into this space that we're not in that space. Yeah. That was it. I think that one, I think that there's so many elements of, of that story that are lessons within themselves, right? We, we have this really interesting perspective on how you have to start a business and what are the steps and how do you grow a company, right? It's idea, deck, team, pitch, raise, build, right? Like, like especially if you're talking about the startup world. Oh, yeah. And that's such a, that's such a great term that your mentor shared that obviously you've held on to and and I've thought about it in different ways. I don't know if I've heard that articulation, but community equity, right? Someone might say like social capital, but I like community equity a lot. And that is such a great point. 
because, and this is something that I think about, relationships precede results. Mm-hmm. And if you're focusing on those relationships, you'll be able to create all sorts of results. Right? Endless. And, and I think that, you know, you don't, you, it's not a good business to rob people. And what came to my mind is if you rob someone once, it's hard to rob them again. Yeah. <laughs> but if you create an opportunity for someone once and you're like, I got another opportunity and I'd love to do it again, someone's going to say, yeah, let's do it. They're, they're going to answer your call every time. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's crazy. I, I, one day uh, when I stopped running around trying to create businesses or invest in businesses, I would like to like create my own collegiate course. And actually I'm collegiate for middle school, high school, almost like not, um, well, not, not like an ethics type of thing, just like the hard knock of like business. This is how it is. You know, like there's two or three lanes you can go down in business where you, where each lane could bring you tremendous wealth. But it's like, what, how do you want to sleep at night? Right. Do you want to sleep at night where it's like, you knew you robbed someone but yes, you justify why you rob someone and yes, you're making your money. Or do you want to live in a lane where it's like, you, you kind of like steal people's ideas. You're not robbing them. You steal their ideas. You minimally invest in them. That person is grateful to you because they don't know their true value or true worth. I, was, I felt like I was always in that bucket. I, I would always build stuff and I would never get my true value because that person knew that I didn't know, I didn't know the value of myself. Mm. So they, they was like, Oh, here's your 50,000. And you're like, Oh, bowling 50,000. <laughs> and then you wake up one day, he's like, wait a minute. Didn't we just make $5 million? You know, that type of stuff. And then you got the third person where you touched on the third person looks to create opportunities for everyone. So then there's just this everyone wins mentality. Everyone eats mentality. And there's always a win-win. And I, I used to hear people say, everyone can't win. Everyone can win. In business, everyone can't win. Like if, if you go to the table saying, how do we create something or, or build an opportunity or create an opportunity that everyone is winning, you might, it might not be even percentages, but everyone can win. If you go to the table transparent and people know what they're going to get, you sleep great at night. I sleep great at night. Like I, I don't, I've never thought about robbing anyone and, and that, that proceeds before business because my first life lesson in business was when my stepdad got his pool company stolen from him mm. because he didn't understand the landscape of like paperwork. You know, yeah. he, he, he was just good at building stuff and he was building pools and we were in Vegas, Nevada at the time. And this is before, this is right when the Vegas boom was about to hit. This was like 89, 89, 90. And all the homes didn't have pools at the time. Now when you go to Vegas, you see pools everywhere. You're like, oh, everyone has a pool. Before that, only like people with a little bit of money in their pocket had pools. Some of like middle class had pools, but for the most part, the pool business was not, it wasn't booming. He noticed it and he started going to people and say, Hey, I can build you a pool because he's in the military and, and he learned how to like do build stuff out of nothing. And he built a pool, made some money, built a pool, made some money. Me, me and my brother out there helping him build a pool. <laughs> and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, uh, we're going to buy our first home from straight from the project. I'm talking about dirt poor to building pools to buy, buying first home. And then this guy came along, loved the business. He said, hey, you know, you, you know, should figure out how to like put your paperwork together, your finances and all that stuff. Uh, he was a friend. He was a friend before like the pool business. So 
he had no reason to think anything else like else, right? And I remember building pools, building pools, building it's I mean like two, three cars, very nice neighborhood, gated community. And then I remember him sitting us down in the living room and saying, We're gonna have to move. We lost our house. I'm like, what? You know, I think I was I think I was 13, 14 at that time. And I, and I was like, move? Why? He said, well, you know, this company wanted to buy us out or merge. They wanted to merge with us. Uh, they, you know, some paperwork said, the paperwork that had to be signed. Uh, my name wasn't on the company. Paperwork was signed and they got rid of me. So we literally went from like poverty, making some money, back to poverty. And that, that, that lesson to me stood out because number one, I was thinking, how could someone even do that to anyone who you called a friend? Sure. Then two was money over everything. There's a lot of people who live by that. Yeah. And I, I don't ever want to live like that. And third was no matter how close we are, we're always going to have some paperwork <laughs> because <laughs> I've seen it happen firsthand. And, and that, so I've lived my life, my, not even trying. I live my life being an honest businessman. It, and there was things in our company our first year that were that I was not satisfied with. And I got rid of people because they were about the money and I was about the mission. Yeah. Well, that's such, I mean, like that was like three MBAs in a single moment in your life when you were, you know, in high school. Yep. Right. When you're, when you're kind of figuring out like the broader world, you start, that, that's kind of like high school. I feel like, is that the time in your life? Like you're lifting your head up a little bit. You're starting to think about college. Like you can see a little bit more of, of the, of the greater world that we live in. And you got a smackdown of a lesson. Um, that's wild. I mean, like I imagine incredibly painful, but like you just shared, like what a formative moment. Yeah. Extremely painful. I, I mean, the, 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 the consequences of like just the effect of that moment. Um, and I said, I shared this in a, in a story, I want to say like two years ago, like that, that moment drove a man who had never drank in his life to drink. Mm. That moment drove a man who never did drugs in his life to, to be on hardcore drugs that moment led a man to lose his family. That man, that moment led a man to be homeless now to, to the point where we don't even know if he's still alive. Fuck. Right. So when, when you break it down like that, how could one choose to be in business to swindle and rob someone when you don't even realize the effects that it has on people? And I, re- I witnessed this firsthand. Like I tell people, I don't need to read a how-to book or <laughs> inspirational book. I was like, I fucking lived it. Yeah. Like I, I personally witnessed a man who was Air Force, graduated top of his fucking class, you know, get robbed and go into a di- downward spiral and never recover. Yeah. So if I can see that, why would I purposely go out and live my life the way of, you know, the person who did that? I mean, yeah, that there's no reaction to that. I mean, it's just so that's, that's such an intense experience and lesson. But I think that there's also 
a perspective here that not everyone would respond the way that you've responded. You know, yeah. there's a sick, I mean, cause there's in, in many communities and it's, it's not specific to any, any one community, there are cyclical natures to sort of damaging behaviors and, 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 and practices. Right. And so I think that there is something to be said about seeing something like that and making the series of decisions that you've made and finding yourself where you are today. And sometimes I'll sit back and I guess reflect and think about it or when certain people hear the story, they'll be like, dang, shit. And it was because I did have my moments. I still remember um, leaving the house at 16 because at that moment he was like depressed. He was still in the house. <clears throat> I remember leaving because we left Vegas, we moved up to Austin with some family. That didn't work out. Moved to Minnesota. That didn't work. He, like, he still was stressing, mom was stressing, all that stuff. And I was becoming a man, and I said, this, wait, we're going to come to the point where we're going to kill each other, is what I felt like. Mm. And I decided, like, I told my mom, like, I'm leaving. I left. I've been on my own since 16. You know, I, I went, got an apartment uh, with a cousin in Vegas who was old enough to where we could rent it. I was working almost full time because, you know, corporate America, they, they cheat. They, they try to swindle you. I was working 39 <laughs> hours uh, at a, a fast food point joint. I won't name them. I was working 39 hours so they have to pay me my benefits. Like, so I was doing that. But So I was waking up at 6, about 5, five in the morning, taking a bus across town to high school, going to all the sports practices because I play all the sports, and then go after sports practice to go work like a six, seven hour shift and do that all over again. So I did that from 16 all the way up to I can remember. And um, there was times where I was like, shit, I go just, shit, I go back to, and slang drugs. Like I learned how to do that in Chicago as a young kid. Like I can go out, I can, I can rob people. Right. Um, and it just, I just remember my, the focus I had on not being like everyone else. I don't want to be like everyone else. And I remember I would, there, there's moments where you feel as if people are judging you saying, oh, you think you're better than me. You think you're better than me. And then I got to a point where I was like, I don't think I'm better than you. I am better better than you. I don't want to be like you. So there's nothing wrong with telling your other people and telling yourself, I want to be better than you. Like, I want to be better than where I grew up. I want to be better than what this person did. There's nothing wrong with that. And once I came to grips with that, and that took me till I was age, fuck, 30? <laughs> embrace the no i yes i do want to be better than you you know there's nothing wrong with that and so that that's you know, that took time to build and build and uh, and i'm hoping i'm passing it down to my kids because i want them to to be i want them to say i want to be better than my dad i want to be better than my mom i want to be better <laughs> like that's your job as a parent is your your goal is to make your child better than you that's how you accumulate wealth and not just monetary wealth like family wealth right you know, a name, a brand, community equity, community equity, right? To be better than your parents. So that that's that's me. That's I think that that's what drives me. Is I want to be better than everyone else. That's a bonfire of a of a drive. <laughs> <laughs> that's not like a little amber. That's like, you know, call the fire department. I think something's burning. You know, yeah, and and I and I and I tell people I was like, look, man. We have a long ways to go, our family, we have our companies. But if you gave nine, if, if you gave 100 people the option to say, do you want to start with my story, gutter dirt, 
poor government cheese kid and go through that journey and hopefully have some success? Or would you start at middle ground, got a decent home and, you know, probably make some money? No one's going to pick my story. No one's going to, you know, you're not going to pick my story. So I think that's what, that, that's what motivates, that's, that's, I think that's what motivates most people who come from, you know, similar stories, similar backgrounds is that you, you, no one, no one wants to be in your shoes. So when I'm in a room with a hundred people and they're successful and they've made their money and whatnot, I'm always thinking, but did you, did you fucking start from negative? Yeah. I mean, they, I'm in the same room as you. I'm in the same room as you. <laughs> I started with negative. I think you, I mean, it sounds like, and this is an external assessment. You started in your words at a negative and you got reset back to negative. You came out of it, you know, and then someone hit the reset button on your family. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a, it's an important thing to, to think about and to, not for you, but for people that are listening to really appreciate the different stories and backgrounds and realities that people are dealing with. Because for every story like yours, there's another thousand. There's not five, there's not five, <laughs> there's not 10, there's, there's a lot. And that's why you even have a business is that there are these forgotten communities or looked over communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, and sometimes they're only 10, 15, 20 minutes from a bumping downtown, you know, <laughs> of like of an urban epicenter, you know? Yeah. And it still, it feels hundreds of miles away, thousands of miles away. Right. Yeah. Because you're, you're just, you're in your community. Um, and we all did it. Like I, I was the same way. I used to always just think that poverty came from cities. You only, you only know what you experience for, for, the, for mo- most people. I think you, what you experience is that's usually what you know. So to me, I, I would only think of poverty in a city sense. I never, I didn't think about it in a rural sense, in the tribal sense. And then when I was exposed to these different environments, I was like, Oh crap, there is some, there is so much, uh, like, equity disparities in this country that I, I think we as like a lot of us, we don't, I don't think we can comprehend it because we don't see it. Yeah. We don't live it. Yeah. We don't live it. We don't see it. Uh, that's not me. That's them. That type of thing. When it's like, no, no, the majority is that's us. Like the have nots, that's a much bigger uh, population of people than the haves. <laughs> So I, I think when you, when I open my eyes is when I just I've been on this whole I just want to help all of us as kumbaya and corny as that shit sound it's real I just want to help all of us. <laughs> I love it, and I, and I and I'm in com- in complete agreement with that notion and that perspective. You know that there there is a there is a massive population of people the majority that are forgotten or ignored or under-resourced. And sometimes it's slight and sometimes it's extreme. You know, in the communities that you're talking about, it's incredible to hear your story. And for most people, especially probably people who listen to the show, it'll be shocking and intense, that reality. But then to hear that story and hear you talk about communities that you go into that are shocking and intense for you with what you've already experienced. And, and I think that goes kind of back to this concept of layers in a different perspective, right? That there are so many layers to the struggle and 
to life. And once we start looking at them and thinking about it, we can start addressing some of that. If I mean, if we honestly look at it, right? Because because you could look at it. This wasn't and, honest yet. No, no, that, 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 this is honest. <laughs> I, like th- there's something, and I don't know when this one is going to air soon. I I'm struggling with how we dispersed our SBA funds. It is a is a real is a real time. This is a real time lesson for everyone in our country on how how it exact how this country works. Right? And we're talking about layers. There are people who who I've spoken to did not need a bailout, did not need money, solely looked at this as free money. Oh yeah. And they knew how to maneuver and navigate the system. They knew that their banks were going to choose them over anyone else because the banks were going to make more money off of like if I give you more millions than opposed to Joe Schmo and his 100,000. And we, we got a first, we got a real time look at economics 101 in America. Real time. Like, okay, give a couple small businesses money. But for the most part, the people who got that money probably didn't need that money. Well, there was just a someone on Twitter, I think. Ivy League schools got a collective of like forty-four million dollars. Like Harvard got like nine million, Columbia got like twelve million. Yeah, because uh, their endowment's not enough. Yeah, and so for for people who may not be familiar, the endowments of universities at that level are in the tens of billions, billions with a B. Um, you know, because if you went to liberal arts school, maybe it's you know a couple hundred million, which is still a lot, but we're talking about like forty, fifty billion dollar endowments. It is, it is very interesting, and I think that that's a really good highlight. We are learning a lot about ourselves, and we're learning a lot about our society and our country during this crisis. Real time. Yeah, absolutely. And your episode, because I'm behind, is going out next week. So it'll be, it'll be relevant. <laughs> it'll be relevant. And it's, what's crazy, I was on the phone with a friend of mine, and she does phenomenal work in the Native country. She has a great company. She travels the world and, and helps different indigenous populations or whatnot. True businesswoman. And, and we sat on the phone and she asked me, she said, uh, how is this going to affect you in relationships you have with certain people? Because I, I have a unique circle, I think. I think I, I think I still have friends who I grew up with from the hood. I still have friends who we went to college where we all were poor and all came out as, you know, somewhat successful business people. I have friends who I've grown, who I've accumulated during the journey of growing businesses or whatnot. And so, so I do have friends in that 1% circle that, that undoubtedly abused um, a system during a time when like the need was not there for their company. And she asked me candidly, he was like, like, what are you going to do about that? And uh, it, it, you know, it kept me up at night because it, it is, it's fucked up when you think about it, where we, we have people in our country who have more than enough resources that took advantage of something when there are people who they, they're never going to open again. I, so I, the story, what played in my head is the story I told you about my dad. How many people are going to go in that downward spiral because of this? Right? To never crawl out. Yeah, that's a conversation we haven't started having yet at 
at, at any level, except for maybe individually and personally, like you you're sharing right now. Yeah. And that's a story that potentially, unfortunately won't get told because the, the metrics, it's not a clean metric. It'll be slow. It'll take time. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be individual stories, you know, mm-hmm. but I think it's a, I think that's a very human question to ask and to hold, you know, maybe even just paying attention to the people that you care about and the people in your circles and checking in with people. Yep. You know, what kind of challenges are they experiencing right now that might be acute? You know, we, I come from a family of entrepreneurs and we have, we've all had our own business and even some of my friends don't understand why we keep buying gift cards at small businesses and why we keep like buying stuff from, from independent companies. So like, what? Like I, I, I've been paying my barber as if I was getting a haircut and I understand because everyone in my family has a business and I know what it means to not make money, not get revenue. No one's paying me a biweekly check. No, like you, like you, like you eat what you kill. Right. And that, and you know that like entrepreneurs know that there's there's business owners. I've broken it down. There's like the business owner and they, they own businesses or whatever. Then you have like the entrepreneur, right? And you and I, we talk about all entrepreneur. Then you just like have the person that just know that 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 without any uncertainty, that person knows I gotta fucking crush it to eat, right? So I don't. I consider like you said, your family are entrepreneurs. I I think you guys might be in that bucket too, because that's where I'm at. I know I have to crush it to eat, not just do well. You have to crush it to eat. So, uh. Our family's on the same thing. We've been buying gift cards, all local. We've been doing local grocery shopping. We've been local, uh, it's so local to the point where I'm like, is is it safe for us to go eat over there? Like, because yes. it's like, you know, do we like we've never eaten over there? But it's like, if if we all as a, as different states, this is the moment where you, uh, like Cuomo's on TV going at Trump. Trump going at Cuomo. Uh, he's going at the other uh, governors or whatnot. But if this hasn't like opened your eyes to to say, hey guys, as a state, we need to be supporting each other because we can't rely on the federal government. So buy local, shop local has a whole new meaning now. Like before, it was just like a nice little friendly slogan: shop local Saturday, right? <laughs> so yeah. you shop lo- after Black Friday. Yeah, it's like no fuck if. We should be shopping local all the time because look what happens when the world stops. Who are the first people forgotten about? <laughs> yeah. Small business community. Like nobody shut down Walmart. Nobody shut down Target. Nobody shut down uh, uh, Kroger or, or like they're, they're going to keep shrugging away. But the little mom and pop like Mercado uh, that relies on the a hundred people that come, you know, daily, Loyal customers shut down. Barbershops shut down. They have no contingency plan. They have no 1099. But the relief fund that came down for 1099 workers came right as the money ran out. <laughs> the nail technicians. So this is if if this is not our moment where we wake up, all of us to say support local for real. Like I don't I don't, I don't but because those are people who they have to crush it to eat. Yeah. Crush it to eat. 100%. And 
and there's a small there's 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 almost no margin for error and so when you have something like this you can't you can't control the you can't control what's happening yeah and i heard people say well, why didn't they get insurance like the bigger companies and those are the people who have worked nine to five jobs their entire fucking life they don't understand <laughs> that there's that, that costs money that you have to figure out how to where to take the money from to allocate that to insurance and if you're if you're just crushing it as a business owner you're not really thinking that oh there's something that's going to come along one day that's going to shut me down and then i'm never i can't pay anyone like we're not all as fortunate fortunate as fucking wimbledon to have a, a insurance policy for which which whoever their advisor was for wimbledon probably got the best raise ever did, they, did you hear about that story? no i had no idea wimbledon took out an insurance policy, two million a year, and I think it's for like 30 years or something, for pandemics, for like shit you can't explain. <laughs> they cashed out. So Wimbledon lost like 40 or 30 something million. They filed their insurance claim. They got $141 million from the insurance claim. <laughs> so whoever that advisor, I want that person. Hook me up. <laughs> well, like, it's also, it's so specific because even... Looking at flights, we never buy travel insurance and we bought travel insurance for a flight, but it doesn't cover pandemics. Wow. Like in like it covers all the stuff, but it's like uh asterisk, pandemics aren't covered. And we're like, well, why did we buy the insurance? Yeah. Well, well what what are we insuring then? Like the for sure stuff? I went I think I, I think you and I talked about this the first time, uh, how I was going back and forth with my uh Airbnb person. Right. I was like, I can't come to San Diego. Yet you still gonna charge me for the house? They're like, yeah, we can give you a credit. I'm like, we don't know when the world gonna open up. I don't want a credit. <laughs> give me my money back. <laughs> so I started reading up on stuff, calling lawyer friends. They're like, oh, you can maybe you can do like a force majeure or some shit. I was like, I, I don't got time for this. <laughs> yeah, I got businesses to handle. Yeah, I got other stuff. That and I need to be working out in my back gym now since we can't go anywhere. Yeah. Oh no, you got a garage. I saw the garage. Uh, you got you got a good setup. Uh, Charles, take four. Very uh, full of uh, interesting stories and insights. I I really appreciate a lot everything of what you shared in this conversation. I always do, but this one felt a little bit bigger. So, just for listeners, who if they want to follow, if they want to find what you're talking about, what you're working on. What's the uh, what's the best way? I'll put we'll put everything in the notes. But in your words, the to find me if you want to just see everything that we're doing. That's at Cash the Third Cash the Third. That's IG Twitter. Uh, if you want to see what the company is doing, Cultivating Coders. That's at Cultivate Coders. That's on IG and Twitter. You can search Cultivating Coders. You'll find us on Facebook. Uh, there's a lot more meat and potato on my uh, my personal stuff, but you can. Yeah, once you go to my personal page, you can find everything that we're working on. And it, just a quick note, that's how I found Charles in the first place was IG. So he'll, he'll respond. If, I will. If, if he's curious enough or if he's concerned enough by the message. <laughs> like, what the hell? Who the hell is this? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Charles. Adam, hey, stay safe and uh, I appreciate you, man. You Keep too. doing what you do. All right. Bye. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Founder's Mind. This season is sponsored by Upside Business Travel. 
free travel management for companies like yours. Find out more about Upside Business Travel at www.upside.com backslash TFM. To make sure you don't miss any awesome wisdom from guests and stay up to date on the most recent episodes of the show, be sure to visit thefoundersmind.com. You can also follow along on social at The Founders Mind. If you like what you're hearing, we'd love your support. Sign up to be a funder of The Founders Mind. To support the show, you can go to the show notes or head to thefoundersmind.com and click the funder link. And last but not least, a couple of thank yous. Thank you to Roy Matz for the music on this show and his dope editing skills that make The Founders Mind possible. And to Dante32 for all the behind the scenes content and strategy work that enables this show to grow. Until next time, take care. In the world, going through all of this insanity and try to bring new ideas, make them a reality. Illuminate in the thoughts, make it a priority to implement what you learn, what you get is what you be. In a world full of noise, hard to find that clarity to try to lead subtly, never full of vanity and try to change something small or try to change humanity. Power forward through the dark, founder's mind is what you see. Founders mind is what you see. Founders mind is what you see.